The Bible is a book full of unsolved mysteries. Are you looking to finally make sense of it all? Join our weekly conversation and think about the Bible like you never have before. Listen, watch, and interact with us at ChristianQuestions.com. You're listening to Christian Questions. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Joseph Heller once said, Peace on earth would mean the end of civilization as we know it. True words were never spoken. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, first of all, where are we? And then, secondly, what's our topic for today? Well, Rick, we're in Johnstown, Pennsylvania at a Bible conference, and that's why the sound sounds a little different. Yeah, there's a fan on in the background, and we can't do anything about it. So (laughs) there it is. So what's the topic for today? Well, Rick, our question is, where is the kingdom Jesus told us to pray for? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so the question is, where is the kingdom Jesus told us to pray for? So what part of the gospel, here's a little question, what part of the gospel did Jesus most focus his teachings on? For many of us, the answer would be simple. Well, Jesus taught love. Love one another as he and God love us. Now look, this is a beautiful and profound answer, and it is surprisingly incorrect. Actually, Jesus focused probably three times more on teaching about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. As a matter of fact, he taught about the kingdom more than he taught about anything else. That's amazing. It is, and it's, it's, it's true. Now, if Jesus was so laser beam focused on the kingdom, it's probably smart for us to know what he was talking about because, by the way, the several ways he described the kingdom seem to be in contradiction with one another. So, what is the kingdom, where is the kingdom, and when is the kingdom? A lot to cover, and folks, coming up in today's podcast, the kingdom of God is not... It is not a sweet story of victory, heaven, harps, and just hanging out with Jesus for all of eternity. We're going to zero in on some of the enormous troubles that come with the kingdom. Also, the kingdom of God has something to do with everyone, which in many Christian circles directly contradicts traditional teachings. We will show you the scriptural reasoning that brings us to this controversial conclusion. But first, Jonathan, first, let's uncover just how complicated and seemingly contradictory the kingdom of God is in the Bible. Lots of details that just don't add up. Or do they? (laughs) Let's find out, okay? Okay, so first, let's take a look at the different ways the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is used. Let's start with a scripture in Matthew 4. That basically is saying the kingdom is here. Jesus himself carried the kingdom with him. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, so Jesus is saying the kingdom is here. That's right. John is proclaiming Jesus at his first advent 
as the Messiah. Right. And Jesus' words, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. When something is at hand, that means it's right there. Yes. Okay. Ready so, to grab it. Right. Right. Okay. So, so first of all, what is a kingdom? Just, just by way of a quick definition, what is a kingdom? Well, Rick, it means royalty, rule, or a realm. Okay, and so it means kind of what you, you expect it to mean. There's, mm -hmm. no, there's no hidden definition, no surprise thing with the word for kingdom. So the first thing is, Jesus said, look, the kingdom's here. And he said that because he's here. If he's here, the kingdom is here. All right, that makes sense. Okay, so the kingdom is here. It's here. All right, let's go on to the next one. And in the next verse, Jonathan, it talks about the kingdom of God being in you. Jesus' true followers also carry the kingdom. This is Luke 17, 20 and 21. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. All right, so first of all, he's talking to the Pharisees. So he's saying it's within them? Well, that, that's what he said. That's... Okay, yeah, well, but they didn't accept him. So right, well, really, see, see but, and that, that's the that's the important point about that particular scripture. We're actually going to come back to that scripture later on. But what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, you are in line for the kingdom. It's within you because of your heritage, because you're God's chosen people. The kingdom's within within you. But you're right; they didn't accept it. Right. Therefore, the kingdom would be within those who accepted him makes sense okay so so far we see the kingdom of god is here jesus said so in his own words and then you say well where is the kingdom of god it's like oh i know it's within you now now you're saying the development of the the church throughout the whole gospel um time period yeah and and when you, when you look at it that way it, it ex extends it but it's still here and it's still internal okay all right so Jesus is, you know, we're saying it's, it's all contradictory, but he seems pretty clear. The kingdom of God is here, and the kingdom of God is within you. Okay. All right. What's next? Well, the kingdom of God is future in our next verse. <laughs> so, so let's wait, throw, wait. throw something else in there. Okay. What's the next verse? Matthew 6, verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So hold the phone. Just wait a minute. So it's... Future. But that's not what you said. It, it, yeah. It's in. It, it's there because of Jesus. It's here. Wait, wait, wait. It's here and it's in you. Yeah. So how is it that he says, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth? He's saying, pray for the kingdom to come, but he already said it's here. Right. Does it contradict itself? Well, it sounds like it. It doesn't sound like it makes any sense. So, you know, what we want to do is, is take a look at how Jesus proclaims the kingdom because frankly what we're seeing is it can be really confusing so let's, let's go to our our first soundbite on the matter and we're going to be going to soundbites from different christian preachers that are giving a perspective on what the kingdom is and how the kingdom works so this is from bishop michael curry from thy kingdom come and he's an episcopal uh, bishop so let's listen jesus taught us to pray thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To pray for God's kingdom to come in our midst, to pray for God's reign to be realized in our midst, is to pray for God's will to be done, to pray that God's dream 
might be realized in our lives and in our time. All right, so he, he said several things there. He's talking about thy kingdom come, thy will be done, the verse we just quoted. Mm-hmm. But he said we're praying for God's kingdom to be realized in our midst. Yeah. So I'm not sure what that well, – I guess what that means is that it, it, the kingdom is around, but it's not, it's not visible. I'm not sure. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not either. It doesn't give a clear picture, but he also said, you know, it's a prayer for God's dream to come true. And look, you know, not to be at all disrespectful, but God doesn't have dreams. No. He God, has purposes. Right. He has plans. He has written clear plans that were set in stone long ago. And so when we look at the kingdom, Jesus so far has mentioned it several different ways and in mentioning it those several different ways, he's telling us that the kingdom has got a lot of pieces. So far we know it's here, it's in you, and it's future. Right. I love a topical Bible study, yeah, right? Well, you got, that's what you have to do here. So the next description of the kingdom is that it's a message that needs to be spread. And then we're looking at Matthew 4.23 for that. And Jesus went about all Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and disease. So it sounds like it's this message to be spread that has to do with healing because he's preaching the gospel and healing everybody. And so you associate the kingdom with healing. Okay. So here's the question. Did the people he healed stay healed for the rest of their lives? No. They eventually died. So do we just assume then the kingdom is temporary? I mean, because, you know, what is it? How does it work? Those are the things that we're going to be working, to, looking to work, work through. So it's here, it's in you, it's future, and it's a message to be spread and kind of looks almost temporary. Let's add another verse just because we want to add more trouble. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so much fun. Okay, so next, the, the next verse talks about the kingdom of God being difficult to enter. Now, well, we'll read the verse, and then, and, and, then, and then we'll talk about it. Matthew 18, 3. And said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay. So he's saying you are going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, wait a minute. If it's in you, how do you enter it? I was going to ask you that question. Ah, <laughs> <I> gotcha. <laughs> so, so what we're looking at is, and these are all statements of Jesus. And, you know, we like to look at the teachings of Jesus and say, well, you know, he always makes so much sense. And it's always so clear. And it's always so easy to follow. And in this case, the thing that he talked about more than anything else seems to be the most complicated. We've got all of these different aspects that seem to directly contradict each other. And I'm going to throw in, we have to be like little children. And I love this um, picture. We have to be innocent, teachable, and trusting. Because that's what a child is. Right. So I love those qualities that he's expecting us to have. So there's qualities that he expects. So when he said to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is within you, he, those qualities were supposed to have been there as well. But I don't think they were. And, and that's why they lost their opportunity. It's in you, it's future, it's a message, it's difficult to enter. 
So, and then let's do one more, okay, just to, to complete the confusion on the kingdom. The kingdom, uh, let's look at the kingdom associated with the resurrection. Now, these are not Jesus' words, but we're going to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Let's just do verses 22 and 24. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the to the God and Father, when he has established all rule and all authority and power. Okay, so he's saying, then comes the end, and uh, the, this is all about the resurrection. Okay, after the resurrection, and he's established all, all rule and power. So you've got the kingdom that's within you, but it has to do with the resurrection, and you have to enter in, but it's already inside of you, and you have to become a little child, but you already have it. And what comes to an end? So there's a lot of moving parts. Yes. So the kingdom is the teaching that Jesus focuses on more than anything. And what we have seen so far is a lot of confusion. And the reason, Jonathan, we, the reason it looks confusing is because we're taking single statements about the kingdom and saying, this is what it looks like it says. If we decide to try to put this all in order... That's a different story, and we're going to get to that in the next in the coming segments. So we can see that the kingdom. Let's let's try to sum this up this segment. We can see that the kingdom can mean any one of many facets of the kingdom. So the kingdom has got a lot. It's like a diamond. All of these different facets on it, it but it's all the same diamond. So just a couple. What are some of these facets? All right. So Rick, it can refer to Jesus Himself in His first advent. Okay. So Jesus Himself can be looked at as the kingdom. It can refer to the context of the development of the true church in this present time. So the kingdom itself can refer to true followers of Christ walking the walk and talking the talk of a Christian. That's also the kingdom. Because it's in them. Right. Okay. What else? It can refer to the time of resurrection. Now that throws all of that off. <laughs> yes, it does. But it's scriptural, so you can't argue with it. Okay, that's something future. Also, Rick, it can refer to the final reign of God after all enemies, even death, are destroyed. So there are parts of the kingdom that refer seemingly to people. There are parts of the kingdom that refer to events. And there are parts of the kingdom that refer to a conclusion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But they're all called the kingdom. Right. So, folks, we've got our work cut out for us here because there's a lot of, of, of things going on. And what we want to do now through the rest of the podcast is make complete sense out of all of these things that don't seem like they connect. All right? Because the scriptures always connect. That's right. They harmonize. Without exception, every time. We just need to know where and how to look, how to understand the context and how to understand the building blocks of the teachings of the Bible and specifically of Jesus. So, Jonathan, there's specific kingdom keys we want to talk about at the end of each segment. What's our kingdom key for the first segment here? God's kingdom encompasses several stages and aspects and cannot be fully understood unless all of the pieces are put in place. Okay. Lots of pieces, lots of things going on, it's not going to make sense until you back up and see the panorama of all of the scriptures and all of the things that talk about it and find a way to put them where they belong. That's how we can understand God's kingdom. So, 
God's kingdom is bigger and broader than we thought. There are moving parts everywhere. This sounds complicated. How do we set a foundation? Where does the kingdom actually begin? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. As with so many of the teachings of the Bible, there is an answer to the complication, but it isn't necessarily on the surface. If we apply basic rules of Bible study like you were talking about, if we examine things topically and in their appropriate context, we're going to make headway. So let's start at the end of the Old Testament and just kind of put things in place to launch the New Testament. So the very last words, the last words of the Old Testament, and, and you know, just pause here for a second because I love this. Because literally, the Old Testament, the final words are spoken. And then there's a 400-plus-year silence. And the very next events are picking up just where it left off. Oh, that's interesting. And, and, and it, what it does is it gives you a sense that God has timing and his plan never misses a beat. For us, 400 years is like, well, where did you go? <laughs> but for him, it's, it's not time yet. So, last words of the Old Testament, Malachi 4, 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children. Okay, so the last words of the Old Testament are focused on Elijah, the prophet, coming. So the very first event of the New Testament was the prophecy of John the Baptist's birth. And, That's right. And that was in Luke 1, 5 through 24. And then we're going to fast forward to John growing up, okay, because John is Elijah. Now, not literally Elijah, but he's, he's the picture of Elijah as represented in, 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 the, in Malachi. So we pick up the first major prophetic happening of the New Testament is in Matthew 3, verses 1 through 2. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John, even before Jesus speaks a word, says the kingdom of heaven is here. Well, Rick, think about it. God's perfect timing, like you were saying before. John the Baptist was several months older than Jesus. When John turned 30, he started proclaiming, Messiah. You know, there was a small window before Jesus was even presented. Right, right. And it's interesting because Jesus was there. Yes. You know, and I often think about, I wonder how many times Jesus would, before he turned 30 and would, would actually start preaching, I wonder how many times he'd go out and just listen to John. Ooh, hey, that's a good you know, point. I, I imagine him sitting on a rock on a hill as he's watching John do the work. You know, I just, I don't that know. That makes sense. And so he was there. The kingdom was at hand. And John knew that because he, that was his mission, was to open up that door. Okay. So, again, back to the kingdom is here right now. Okay? Yes. Let's go to another soundbite from another, um, another uh religious organization. This is uh, Father Larry Richards, Thy Kingdom Come, Just Live. And he wrote a book called Thy Kingdom Come, or Just Live. And, he's, and, and, and the, the thought behind it was, the kingdom's here, you got to live it. 
Okay, so just going to take a, a quick soundbite uh, from that. Whose kingdom do I proclaim by the way I live? Do I proclaim the kingdom of God? Do I build up the kingdom of God? Do I exist to bring people to God's kingdom? Or do I exist to build a name for myself, to build up my kingdom, to build up my own reality? Huh? We need to be people who are bringing and building up God's kingdom. And so again, what, is it, what that means practically is that means what, what our goal got to be in everything is to bring everyone we meet into the reality of God that they come to know their love. Do you know the deepest need in everyone's heart is to be loved? You know that. And we do everything in our power to try to fill up that need. So when we're building up the kingdom of God, we are being people of love in a world that doesn't know love. Because the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of love. So am I building up this kingdom of love by the way I live? So when you listen to his description, he's talking about building up the kingdom of God bringing people to the kingdom of God, and he's describing the kingdom of God as the kingdom of love. Right, to, to know God's love. Right. But that doesn't sound to me like a kingdom. Actually, that's a really good point. It sounds like a, an internal way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, but, but it does go along with the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, mm-hmm. and, and actually, mm-hmm. let, let's go back to that scripture because it, it sounds to me like he's taking a... What we look at is a small piece of the kingdom mm-hmm. and proclaiming it as the kingdom. Gotcha. And I think that that's a great start, but let's not end where we start because we've got all these other scriptures that seem need to be put I- into place. So what had arrived you know, at, at, was the first phase of the kingdom, and that was with Jesus. Okay, so Jesus explained this first phase to those who were in line for it but they rejected that opportunity uh, as it was not what they expected. So let's just go back to, and we, we touched on this scripture the first segment, but go back to Luke 17, 20 and 21. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay, so let's start the building blocks. Jesus is the kingdom. Yes. Okay, so he's the really, the, the, the primary foundation of the kingdom. The very beginning. And, but, but you're right, that's not a kingdom the way we describe the kingdom. When you see the, you know, the city up on a hill, that's the kingdom. Right, right. But it's, it's the foundation, the beginning of the kingdom. The next part of this first phase of the kingdom is that Jesus is saying the kingdom begins with those who are called to be part of it. Right. Pharisees were called to be part of it. But they rejected the call. So the call, therefore, had to go to somebody else. Exactly. So... It begins, the first phase of the kingdom in its smallest stages is Jesus and begins with those that are called to it. So let's now, let's see if we can start to build on that. John chapter 3, verse 5. This is Jesus uh, speaking with Nicodemus. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, if any man is not begotten from water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Okay. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he's telling him some. The, the, the interesting uh, thing about this conversation is he's giving him some really powerful scriptural truth that he didn't really say any, anyplace else. You're right. 
and so just personally yeah, to Nicodemus. Yeah, yeah. So that that's an important place to start. But he talks about the kingdom of God, and what's he explaining? He's explaining that Rick, in the first phase of the kingdom, uh, you will be blessed with God's influence, okay. and, and we know that that's the Holy Spirit, the so, power working within you. So in that verse, he's saying. I say to you, if a man is not begotten from water, from baptism, from the symbol of baptism and spirit, he can't enter the kingdom. Right. So now, as we look at the kingdom of God begins with those who are called to be part of it, but we see that some that are called to be part of it don't necessarily have to answer the call. That's true, like the Pharisees. So those who do answer the call, Jesus is describing being be God through the symbol of water baptism and the spirit. Yes. God's power. Exactly. So the kingdom of God is within those in whom the spirit of God will dwell. You got it. Okay. But it's still not a kingdom. No. no. It, it, it's like like you're saying, the, the infant stages, the very, very, very beginning, you got to build it from somewhere. Okay, next scripture. Let, let's continue to build. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 and 11. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. Okay, so now in, in, this, in, in these verses, Jesus is doing a little bit of separating. He, he is. Who's he, who's he separating? He's separating the called out ones from everyone else. And only the called out ones are supposed to understand. Okay. So he's saying that I'm, I'm speaking in parables. I'm speaking in stories because I don't want everybody to understand what I'm saying. And, and that's not the normal thought behind the gospel. Right. Because Christianity typically looks at Jesus and says, God is love. And Jesus came to save everyone. And Jesus is love, and everybody should be drawn to that. Right. But Jesus himself is saying, I'm speaking to you mysteriously on purpose. So all those people out there, they don't get it. Wow. You, I'll explain it to. And you think, wait, wait, wait. So the kingdom of God is is choosy. It's picky. Yeah. It's exclusive. Selective. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem to, to, to make sense when you just look at it from that small standpoint. So we have the kingdom of God beginning with those who are called to be part of it. Then the kingdom of God um, is given to those who have God's influence. And now Jesus is explaining that those in the kingdom's first phase will be given understanding and those around them will not. Right. Okay. All right. So we're describing the kingdom of God. Every scripture we're using is about the kingdom of God. But so far there's a, there's a common thread here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The called out ones. Exactly. And this is still that first phase that we're talking okay. about. So, so let's build a little further. Let's go to Mark 10, 24 and 25. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus answered and said to them, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And Rick, um, you know that the eye of the needle... Uh, at Jerusalem was this small little gate that you had to unload a camel. It had to get down on its knees and crawl through 
and then stand up and reload and then go to your destination. And it was to protect against enemies. So at night, enemies couldn't break in uh, to Jerusalem to destroy um, the people. But I was thinking of kind of a picture of that. All right. Before you get to the picture, I just want to throw in. That's like a security checkpoint at an airport. Hey, there you go. Because you gotta <laughs> you got to take off your belt and you got to take off your shoes and, mm-hmm. you know, you got to go through all that thing. Because – and that's what it was in the city. The city wall at night, they, they want – people could come in and out, but it was much more difficult to protect – everybody. You got it. But go ahead, your picture. So we, the called out ones, must divest ourselves of worldly goods. Right. And with humility, get on our knees, serve God uh, for our whole lives before we have a standing uh, again or a reward to go to in, in the kingdom of heaven. So the kingdom of heaven, in relation to the called out ones, is not about your stuff. No. It's not about your status not at all it's about your spiritual life yes so folks we're describing the kingdom we're describing the first phase of the kingdom and actually we're describing the very beginning of the first phase of the kingdom because jesus talks about the kingdom in so many different ways and it's and it's mentioned in so many different contexts in scripture that if you don't break it down and put all of the scriptures together for each part you'll never figure it out so when we're talking about true followers of Christ and the, and, the, and the words, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, think of it always as, okay, beginning stages of the first phase of God's kingdom. Okay? It makes sense. So it's, it's exclusive. It's clear. It's spiritual. It's not about me and my stuff. It's about me following Jesus and, like you said, divesting all of those things. So now, um, in the words of Jesus. The phrase, and this is a little bit of a side point. I think this is important. Yeah, this is. This is an important point. In in the words of Jesus, the phrase, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, you know, it it appears both ways. So are they interchangeable or are they different? They are absolutely, positively interchangeable. Okay, how do we know? Now, I'm glad you asked that because I have an answer written right here, okay? That's why I'm glad you asked, okay? Let's look at Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. Jesus is about to describe a specific parable. He presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Okay, so what is like a mustard seed? The kingdom of heaven. Is like a mustard seed. That's what it says. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Okay, now let's look at Luke 13, verses 18 to 19. What does it say? So he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Ah, interchangeable. Got it. I got it. Exactly. And you know, and you wonder, okay, how is it? that they're quoting different words if Jesus is saying just saying it once? Well, that's a good question. And, and I, you know, I can't give you an authoritative answer, but I can give you a Rick opinion. Okay, I'd okay. like to hear it. And, <laughs> you know, and I think that a lot of times with the words that we have written in Scripture, they are, in many cases, a summation of the overall explanation of Jesus. And I could picture, like in the Luke account, it's a little bit more detailed in its explanation. Hmm. He's saying, so he's saying, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? Then I can imagine him saying, the kingdom of heaven is, is like a mustard seed. In other words, adding the phrase that was used in the Matthew account, 
right there because he's just repeating himself, but just using a different word. Otherwise, those listening would not have had the authority to change the words. Ah. So in my mind, it's just a, you look at it sort of and say, how does that work? And, you know, just because the words are written doesn't mean those were the only words. And as long as we can add in the pieces around it that do not contradict one iota, it gives us a sense of, of a little bit better clarity. So just, just a Rick opinion on that. I like it. Okay. So let, let's begin to sum this part up. The parables in which Jesus spoke of the kingdom were all lessons about the context in which the true church, those who are part of the first phase of the kingdom, would be developed now. Okay, so let's, let, let's go over that statement just again. So parables, Jesus spoke in a lot of parables. Yes, he did. And especially the parables when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like. Whenever you read in scripture, the kingdom of God is like or the kingdom of heaven is like, it always is going to refer to the context of the developing of the footstep followers of Jesus in the present time of learning how to walk in Jesus' footsteps. Gotcha. It's not about the future. It's not about glory. It's about working it out. And when he gives those parables, he's telling us some of the things we need to learn. He's telling us some of the things we need to avoid. He's telling us some of the things we need to watch out for in terms of prophecy. He's laying out this is what it's going to look like throughout the period of time that the true church is going to be doing its development. So the first phase of God's kingdom has everything to do with individuals. So let's, let's, let's go to our second kingdom key. God's kingdom begins in the present time with Jesus and the calling out development of footstep followers. The kingdom only begins here. And I think that, that's the really, really, really important thing is this is the beginning of the kingdom. Jesus comes and the kingdom is here because Jesus was here. Okay, And those who are called to follow him are we're following that present kingdom. And then Jesus dies and he goes up to heaven. You say, well, wait, did the kingdom leave? Well, think about it. Jesus said also to his followers, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's right. And so with God's spirit being within the followers of Jesus throughout the entire age of the development of the gospel, they represent the kingdom. It's not that big kingdom on the hill. It's, it, it's in a development stage. And they're given the power and influence of God, that Holy Spirit. Yes. And they have understanding where others don't. So the kingdom of heaven is not just like a I, I believe in Jesus scenario. No, no. And actually, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good point. The kingdom of heaven is much more than that because there's understanding, there's God's spirit, there's development, there's the divesting of all of your, 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 your earthly being for the sake of, of the heavenly calling. So it's much, much more than that. So here, it really sounds like the kingdom of God has been in a warm-up stage for the last 2,000 years. So the first phase of the kingdom is about followers of Jesus. Why? What are they called to do? That's kind of interesting. Our bumper's not bumping. <laughs> okay. Don't know what happened to that. That could cause a little bit of a crimp in our style, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I do. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what? I don't know how, what, how that's going to work, but we're going to just keep on going, Jonathan. All right. Um, so ending that, looking at the first phase of God's kingdom, 
and then looking towards the next phase. What's the next question? Why? Um, why? Oh, so the first phase of the kingdom is about followers of Jesus. Why? What are they called to do? And, and that's the key. What are they called to do? And, and when we ask the question why, it's always a really, really important question. Often we don't really think about the destiny of the footstep followers of Jesus beyond happiness, heaven, and harps. <laughs> you know, the reality is that these few who are called, tried, and faithful because they're uh, – that. There are few, I'm sorry, that they're called, tried, and faithful because there's a, there are future responsibilities that they're being prepared for. So the kingdom now is a preparation time, and that's why it's just the first phase because you've got to be preparing for something. So in this segment, what we want to do is take a look at what you're being prepared for. So, Jonathan, what I want to do here is see if this soundbite is going to work. This could be a real adventure, especially if we don't have any of these things going. <laughs> Let's see what happens. And so what John is claiming right here is that Jesus is a temple. He is now the place where heaven and earth overlap. Okay, I'm going to pause that because I just want to do a little bit of explaining of this particular uh, perspective. This is Heaven and Earth, the Bible Project. And this philosophy that they're working on is based on the fact that they're saying, I won't say the fact, this is what they're saying. They're saying that heaven perfectly overlapped earth in the Garden of Eden. Really? That's what they're saying. Okay. And then they're saying that when sin came, the overlap got shifted, and there's only a little tiny overlap. So they're saying the kingdom is all about trying to reestablish that perfect overlap. Okay. All right. So it's, it's kind of a different way of looking at it. I, I was fascinated by it, and that's why we're, we're listening. What's interesting about Jesus is that he isn't staying in this safe, clean space. He's running around hanging out with sinners. He's healing people of their sicknesses and forgiving people of their sins. He's basically creating little pockets of heaven where people can be in God's presence, but he's doing it out there in the middle of the world of sin and death. And he keeps telling everyone that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he even told his followers to pray regularly that God's kingdom come will be done here on earth just as it is in heaven. So what they're saying is being a follower of Jesus, you create little pockets of heaven. Interesting. I've never heard that. You don't look convinced at all. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it's an interesting concept. And, and this is what fascinates me when, when you look at trying to understand what the kingdom is. Because it's complicated, you get, look at these different perspectives, and they're, they're, they're just a, a fascinating look at what, what I think are, 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 are good attempts at trying to, to understand Scripture, but not backing away far enough to see the panorama of the whole thing because they're kind of insisting that the kingdom is bringing these little pockets of heaven to the to, to earth right here and right now and if we bring enough of those pockets of heaven we're going to create the perfect overlap again okay interesting <laughs> yeah interesting different not our not our perspective that's for sure so let's continue now and let's take a look at what are those who are called to Christ called to do because they're called to have the kingdom within them so what are they called to do you know the previous segment was all about the kingdom of god being present within jesus followers now let's take the next step with that uh luke 22 17 and 18 and when he had taken the cup and given thanks he said take this and share it among yourselves for i say to you 
I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. Okay, there he goes again. <laughs> so obviously he's showing us a future part of this kingdom of God, right? Right. And again, all of those scriptures we were talking about, we're talking about the kingdom of God being present and within you and, and you are the kingdom and all of the things, all of the pieces. And now he says, you know, I'm not going to partake of the fruit of the vine with you again until the kingdom comes. Obviously, everything he said, you either have to say, well, he was just kidding or you have to understand it in a different way. And what we choose to do is look at it and say, obviously, there are phases to the kingdom. Makes sense. And so Jesus isn't bothering to say, by the way, just in this first phase of the kingdom, here's what's happening. He's not getting that specific. And, you know, you say, well, why wouldn't Jesus get that specific? Why wouldn't he explain it so we can understand? Well, he doesn't want everyone to know. <laughs> and, and that's established already in Scripture. He spoke in parables, and a lot of what he taught us, and incidentally, a lot of what he taught about the kingdom was in those parables. Good point. So he's making it mysterious on purpose, so we have to really study through to get the context. So we're seeing the future part of the kingdom, and so now we've got to say, okay, for the called out ones, what does that look like? Now we're going to get to the, to the city on the hill and, you know, all of that. What does the kingdom look like for, for, for the footstep followers of Jesus? We go to John 14, verses 1 through 3. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. So now Jesus is not getting really specific, but he's getting specific enough to say that there's a place. This is like one of the first scriptures where we're talking about where it really says there's a location for the kingdom. That's neat. Yeah, because everything so far has been, it's in you. It's development process. It, it, it's sort of ethereal because it's, it's kind of you've got to work on it. But here he's saying, let me give you the directions. I'm going to give you the GPS, and you're going to get to the kingdom, you know, the, the, the godly positioning system. And you're going to get to the kingdom because I'm showing you where, what, what, what direction to go. And, Rick, the verse also shows us there's a time. Oh, okay. Good. I will come again. And bring you with me. A place and a time. So a place and a time, and in this case, both are, the, the, the time is future. Yes. And the place isn't anywhere that we can see. Correct. So you can, if you look at this scripture and say, okay, what's the kingdom? You can say unequivocally, the kingdom is in heaven, and it's at a future time. Yes. Right. But it's also here, and it's also within you. So we have to be careful to not just put all our eggs in that one scripture's basket and walk away with it. We need to make sure that that's a part. So part of this first phase of the kingdom is saying heaven is the destination. Heaven is where it is. That's the address. You know, the zip code is 144000. That's the zip code <laughs> in, in heaven, all right? This, and so it sounds like a paradise in heaven. But what are they going to do there? What are the faithful followers going to be doing in heaven? Uh, there, there's lots of work to be done. And again, you know, we, we don't want to um, 
me thinking about heaven as hanging out on clouds and you know playing harps and no, we it don't. just doesn't just doesn't work. That There's got to be a greater purpose than I've that. Heard, I've heard other people say you know you play golf in heaven. Oh no. No? No. All right. So here are some of the future results of the first phase of the kingdom. Remember, it's still the first phase. So what's first here uh, in terms of the results of this first phase? Well, Rick, they'll be delivered from the final time of trouble before it happens. So the true followers of Jesus in relation to the kingdom, they there's a timeline. Because you said there's a specific time for this. Yes. And in that timeline, Romans 5, 8, and 9 gives us a sense of a specific kind of deliverance for them. What is it? But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. The time of trouble has often been called the wrath of God. Yes, yes. And it's a time, and we're going to get into what happens in that time of trouble. It's not like God is 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 full of road rage, you know, <laughs> because that's the way we, we picture wrath these days. You know, somebody's out of control. Well, the wrath of God is never out of control. No, it's not. But the wrath of God essentially ends the present evil world. That's what it does. And what the Romans promise is saying is because you've already been made right by Jesus' blood, you're not going to be around for that. And that's kind of like a, ooh, I'm, 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 I'll go that's for that. That's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't necessarily want to be around for that. So, no, I don't. All right, that's good. So part of the results of the first phase of the kingdom is the true church won't be around when that final trouble comes into play. What's second here? They have a long resume the followers of Christ, of responsibility laid out for them as the faithful. Okay. They have a resume of responsibility. Usually you think of a resume of showing what you got, you know, what your qualifications are. This is a resume of future responsibility. This is the resume of here's what you're going to have to do. Here's what you're going to have to be. Here's what you are working towards. Let's look at 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All right, let, let's pause there for a second. You know, this proclaiming of excellence is not only today, because that's it's saying that's what we're supposed to be doing, but in the future as well. I mean, there's, you know, the idea, and we talked about glorifying God, I don't know if it was last week or week before, anyway, that's right. recently. That's right. You know, and, and that, is a, that is an eternal event. Absolutely. And... So, but we have to start it now. The footstep followers of Jesus, those called to be part of the kingdom, to have the kingdom in them so they can get to the kingdom, again, have the spirit of God's influence in them so they can get to heaven, uh, that's part of it. Proclaiming of the excellences, uh, excellences of God right now. And they're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You, we, you're given responsibility because these are not just nice names. Like, oh, look, you're a chosen race. Did you know that? Congratulations. <laughs> what does that mean? A chosen race is the race that brings others with it. A royal priesthood. What does a priesthood do? It teaches, it, it nurtures, it, it helps guide. A holy nation set apart. You're, you're, you're separated from the rest of the world so you can be developed. A people for God's own possession. That's much more than just saying, I love Jesus, praise God. That's right. And, and I like to look at it in a simple way. Christ-likeness within you. 
right. following the pattern that was set, living Christ-like. That is the goal in our Christian walk. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So part of our present responsibility, again, if we are footstep followers of Jesus and the kingdom of God is within us and we have God's spirit working through us, therefore being able to understand things that we normally would not have understood on our own, doesn't matter how smart we are, and developing ourselves and divesting ourselves, like you said. And then we're being slandered as evildoers? Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And, and he says, with the excellent behavior, the godly behavior, the spiritual behavior, so that even when they slander you and make fun of you and all of that, they may, because of your good deeds, because of what you stood for now as they observe these things, glorify God, not now. But in the day of visitation. Future. Right. Ah, so interesting. So you think about that. The day of vis- Now, the day of visitation has to do with the day of judgment. That's right. And the day of judgment is not this cookie-cutter operation where God says, uh, pass or fail. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it, that's not what it is. The day of judgment. The word day, if you look in the Old and New Testament, it says a day to the Lord is a thousand years. Yeah. His time is different than our time. Right. So the day of judgment is a day of working of working toward reconciliation. See, God's justice is restorative justice. Mm. And, you know, we get that confused because we think of justice as punish the guy. God's justice is reclaim the guy by making him accountable. That's why they'll be able to glorify God because they will have seen the faithfulness of the previous of the previous age of those following Christ. In the past. Right. And they will, it will give them something to work with because in this present evil world, those who are following Christ are doing so under very difficult and, and, and un, unkind circumstances. Well, in the future, if they're glorifying God because of those in the past, that means they're making progress because right. they're, they're learning the right. good. They're seeing the good. Right. They're doing the good. Right. And, and glorifying God is not something that you do by accident. No. And it's not something you do half-heartedly. Mm-mm. Okay. So, 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 so far, you know, the, the, the kingdom of God for the called out ones, you're going to be delivered before the, the final time of trouble. There's a long, secondly, there's a long resume of responsibilities that you are being prepared for. And thirdly, the world needs them. Now, even though the world doesn't know it, they want the, 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 the faithful followers of Jesus, and they are waiting for them. And they don't know it. They don't, because what's the world looking for? An answer. Everybody says, peace on earth. Yeah, you know, and, you know, get, a, get rid of guns. Get rid of this administration. Get rid of that administration. Try this kind of government. Try that kind of government. Why? Because they're trying to say, let's, can't we all just get along? Fix what's broken. Yeah, but they can't. But in, in, in Romans, it talks about, that longing, but they're just not understanding what they're longing for. Romans 8, 18 and 19. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly 
for the revealing of the sons of God. So the world needs the sons of God. Now we've only talked about the kingdom of God in relation to those following Jesus. So if the world needs them, that must mean somehow or other they have some kind of part in the kingdom. They're going to benefit, I guess. But we haven't talked about that. No, we haven't. So we're going to have to do that next segment. Okay. Okay, just a couple more minutes. All right. So um, did you have another comment on that one? On that uh, yes. Um, Rick, the wisdom of God to give the faithful ones all the experiences of mankind now to be able to sympathize with them later because they themselves were touched with the same infirmities. What wisdom uh, God designed in his plan? And that's why it takes so long to develop those who are faithful because this high level of, of accountability to God now is going to have a ripple effect in the future glorifying God by the rest of the world in the day of visitation. Okay, the fourth thing that is going to happen in terms of the development and, and the timing of God's kingdom is that they're, the, the called out ones are going to work side by side with Jesus throughout the whole reconciliation and judgment process. Let's go to Matthew 25, 31 to 33. That's another story that Jesus is telling, but he didn't start this story with the kingdom of God is like. He's looking to the future and saying, Here's what the result of the first phase of the kingdom of God will bring. And, you know, we're, we're putting that interpretation on, on this particular parable. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another, as the shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put sheep on his right and the goats on the left. So there will be that work at the end of all of that, that judgment, which will separate those who really comply with those who don't. That's part of what the true followers of Jesus are being developed for. That's part of the culmination of that phase of their work. So what's our kingdom key for this segment? Well, Rick, God's kingdom continues in the future with those faithful ones of the first phase being raised to glory so they can assume the responsibilities of worldwide reconciliation and judgment. Okay, so there's a job to be done with this first phase of the kingdom. So seeing God's kingdom in this way really does require a paradigm shift. Many of us see the kingdom as relating to just faithful Christians. What is the rest of the story? There's a lot of talk program topics out there. If you're burnt out on Capitol Hill and Trump, don't worry. We never go there. But if you're looking for unique ways to look at the Bible, we'll make you think about how today's world ties into Scripture like you've never thought about before. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. There is much, much more. The first phase has different parts and is clearly defined. What does the second phase look like? The second phase of the kingdom can be broadly described as the phase that deals with everybody else. This includes every man, every woman, every child who ever lived before and after Jesus. That's everybody. And I want to be clear. Every man, every woman, every child before Jesus and after Jesus. All. We got it. Okay. Quick quote from George C. Marshall. If man does find the solution for world peace, it will be the most revolutionary reversal of his record we have ever known. And it would be. Absolutely. And they're not finding it. No. But God's plan finds it. 
and puts it in place because it's beyond our capacity. And that's where this whole idea of glorifying God in the day of visitation comes from because it's a realization that God's plan has more than one phase to the kingdom. And here is where we have to begin to get into more than just the called out ones. And Jonathan, typically Christianity focuses on the called out ones. They do. And that's where their story begins and that's where the story ends. But that's not what the scriptures say. There's more to it. The scriptures say there's a lot more to it. So it's this aspect of the kingdom, greater aspect that we want to talk about now. And let's go back again one more time to the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. So the, we, Jesus described the, the kingdom for the called out ones as being heavenly. And, you know, you look at that and you get excited about that. But this is very clear and very specific. It is. On earth as it is in heaven. It's acknowledging, yes, God's kingdom is in heaven. But it's saying God's kingdom will be on earth. Why would Jesus tell you to pray for his kingdom to be on earth if he was just kidding? He wouldn't. Uh, he, he, this was the main teaching of Jesus, the kingdom of God. And what we're finding out is the kingdom is full of different working parts. And until we put all those working parts in order, it's not going to make sense. So logically, the first phase of the kingdom was all about those who would be in heaven. We talked about that. Jesus introduces the second phase of the kingdom by telling us to always think about it and pray for it. How many Christians pray that prayer but don't really think about the kingdom on earth? Many, many. And it's what, what, a, what a sadness. Why don't we question, well, why does Jesus say that? Let's go to another, another um, per perspective on the kingdom. This is uh, from the uh, YouTube uh, video, The Bible Project, Heaven and Earth. And um, we're talking again about the kingdom sort of in the present time, in the present world. But a lot of people are threatened by Jesus and they kill him, which seems to spoil this whole plan to reunite heaven and earth. But we, we have to go back to a scene earlier on in Jesus' story where John the Baptist saw Jesus and said, Behold, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus isn't just talked about as being a temple. He's also talked about as being the temple sacrifice. Yeah, so, so the cross is now the place where Jesus absorbs sin to create a clean space that is not limited like animal sacrifices. Jesus' sacrifice has the power to keep spreading and spreading and reuniting more and more of heaven and earth. You know, they're almost getting closer there because he says, you know, Jesus on the cross absorbs sin. And that's good. But he's saying to create a clean space but they're putting the clean space in the present world, and they're not allowing it to be in the future. And we believe that the scriptures tell us it doesn't belong here now. It belongs in the future later, and that's what we need to get to at, at this point. And Satan is the prince of this world yeah. here and now. Yeah, so, so let's get it straight. If you want to build a kingdom now, under whose rule is it being built? Exactly. Satan's rule. Yep. So we've got to be careful. The kingdom of God is within the called out ones. But as far as the world goes, the kingdom of God at this moment doesn't belong here. Yet. Because wrong guy in charge. <laughs> Big time. Okay. All right. So let, let's, you know, those who, um, 
were so faithful to God before Jesus are specially acknowledged in Matthew 11, 11. And, you know, we, we, we in, our, in our fellowship call them the ancient worthies. We call them those individuals that showed us, Hebrews chapter 11, showed us such great faith before Jesus. What, what does Jesus say about them? Truly, truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So, Jesus is talking to you about the, 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 the prophets and, and all, and he's saying the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, who's the greatest of everyone. The greatest prophet ever. Right. Wow. So, so these faithful prophets, prophets and servants are clearly not part of the first phase of the kingdom. No. And now, see, that's interesting, because if they're not part of the first phase of the kingdom, and they're not mentioned in relation to heaven, and they were faithful to God, and, and every scripture of the Bible tells you that, what, do they get left out? No. Well, <laughs> now they've proven loyalty to God, but the timing, they all died before Jesus sacrificed his life right. for mankind. But they were loyal. Yes. And that loyalty does not go without reward. These faithful prophets have a place. Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40 begins to reveal this for us. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. They would have no resurrection, no life, until the first phase, Rick, was complete. Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead, and his followers would be next. So you've got Jesus raised from the dead, his followers, his footstep followers next. But then you have this other group. It says in Hebrews 11, they apart from us would not be made perfect, meaning that because of our opportunity, they get something really, really good. That's right. And, you know, you can't deny that. You can't ignore that because they don't fit into the kingdom of heaven the way Jesus describes it. Exactly. So what do you do with them? There's a second phase of the kingdom. That's what you do with them. There's a second phase of the kingdom, and the rest of the podcast is dedicated to the second phase, to the other part, to the part that everybody seems to forget about, even though there's a ton of scriptures that talk about it. So let's figure out the second phase. How, is it, how does this second phase of the kingdom start? What is presently in place must be removed. Wrong guy in charge. Okay, let's do that. And incidentally, that is not a political statement. Okay, <laughs> that is a, a permanent statement of spirituality. Absolutely. Okay, just being clear. Okay, Daniel 2.44. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will itself endure forever. Here we're talking about the kingdom of God. It's unequivocal. It's the kingdom of God. Now, it's an Old Testament prophecy, but it's saying that God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom. Now, it's got to be God's kingdom because he's setting it up. It's going to never be destroyed, and it will crush it will put an end to all the other kingdoms. So it's going to replace Satan's present evil world. It's not going to develop Satan's present evil world. It's not going to try to recycle the existing systems in Satan's present evil world. It's not going to take the pieces of the systems and say, let's make them work a little bit better. 
It's not going to inject Christianity into what is here to say, oh, we figured it out. It destroys them. We got to be clear. For God, for the second phase of the kingdom, what is has to end. Okay? Now, this removal is not doesn't sound really like happy and joyful. Oh no. You know, I mean no party hats. No, it's gonna be difficult. It hard. Is. It is. Well let, and let's take a quick look. Zephaniah chapter three, uh, verses eight and nine. Therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up as a witness. Indeed, my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out on them my indignation, all my burning anger, for all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. Okay, we're going to do verse 9 later. Okay. The one that follows that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. Because verse 9 puts a slightly different, well, not a slightly, a dramatically different slant on this. But let's focus on the harshness. This is intense. Really. It, it is, it is. You know, gather nations... Assemble the kingdom. So in other words, there is an organization to what's going to happen. Set them up. Right, right. It's not, it's not random. No. It's not, it's, and again, and I used the illustration before, it's not road rage. No. Okay, it's not uncontrolled wrath. That's the way we often, oftentimes think about it. But it, it's not that. He's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm going to logically pull this all together, and then I'm going to pour out my indignation and my burning anger. And it says, and let me read the words. For all the earth will be devoured by the fire of my zeal. And you look at that and you say, whoa, that's not something we talk about. We don't, we, we've never talked about the earth being burned up. No, we haven't. And we're not going to either. No, we're not. Why? Because the society will be totally destroyed as far as nations and and false beliefs. And th if this is Satan's present evil world, all those are his. Okay, so you're telling me that when it says the earth will be devoured by fire and my, uh, the fire of my zeal, mm -hmm. that it's not doesn't mean what it says. It's not literal, it's symbolic. Okay, now, is that just because it's convenient for you? No, wait till you hear verse 9 in the next segment. All brother. right, okay, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> verse 9 coming up next segment. But it's, it's a very, what it's doing, you know, is it's, it's showing you a very final kind of a work. It is. It absolutely And is. that's what we want to get from it. And no, we don't believe the earth is going to get burned up. We no. absolutely positively don't. And what this is showing you, though, is the kingdoms of this world have to end. They don't have to just sort of, you know, ride off into the sunset. They have to be destroyed because they are of Satan. This is really important to understand the kingdom of God and the second phase. The second phase has its place on earth. And here's the problem. There's not room for Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom. No, there's not. Those two objects can't occupy the same space. They cannot. One has got to, by definition, push out the other. So let, let's go a little further. Once the present systems are removed, like you were just saying, then the world will see the evidence in resurrection. And, you know, this is a scripture that is often quoted and often really misunderstood as well. John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who have done the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who have committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Okay, so an hour is coming, so there's a specific time set aside. That's right. That when G Jesus is saying... Everyone who is dead. Now, he's not saying selectively. You know, just the few people that I really like that, that were really good, 
He's saying that all who are in their tombs, and are you going to argue with me that that doesn't mean everybody else? Come on. You know, Jesus is saying all. everybody who's dead okay, yes. are going to hear his voice. And just like when he brought Lazarus back from the dead and he said, Lazarus, come forth. That's the picture for us. That's right. And they will come forth. Some will have done wonderful things and have been faithful, and their resurrection is to life. That's right. Others who didn't do well, who did evil, come to a resurrection of judgment. Yes. Now, in the King James Version, it says a resurrection of damnation. Yeah, bad translation. Why, do you, how do you, why, why would you say that? Because in the Greek, the word actually means judgment. It means decision, a trial, a contest. And uh, what contest means uh, from Webster's is not is I'm stronger not, than you. No, it's okay. not that kind of contest. It's a pose. I'm an, not really, but <laughs> just saying. It's a pose, an action, a decision or theory as mistaken or wrong. So it's, it's a process. It's the development. Again, it's not a stamping of pass or fail. It's the period of time in which individuals will have to be accountable and prove themselves to be worthy of life. And that's a beautiful picture. And again, God's justice is not punish the guy. It's restore the guy by, by making him accountable and helping him to rise up to a level where he can earn the right to live. That's real, true justice. You know, if our justice system actually tried to do that, it would be a whole different story, a whole different story. And remember um, the Roman scripture that the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing yes. of the sons of God? Yeah. This is the moment they've been waiting for. Right, right, right. You know, and, and it's, it's odd to say they're waiting for judgment, but they are because that is life. Yes. Judgment and accountability are the door to life, to God's kingdom second phase here on earth. This resurrection of judgment for the masses of humanity will be in that context of full disclosure. And this is, I love this scripture. We've talked about this oh, probably a hundred times it's awesome. in, in, in the 20 years we've been doing this. But 1 Timothy 3, uh, 2, I'm sorry, verses 3 and 6. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And, you know, this is interesting because, you know, in the call of the, 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 the called out ones, it's, it's, you know, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Uh, the first phase. Right. Okay. The first phase. But here, they're saved and then they come to a knowledge. It's different. Oh, that so, is cool. So what is, this come to a knowledge of truth. What does that mean? Well, this Greek word means a full discernment, Rick. Acknowledgement. Complete Understanding. Okay, full disclosure. They'll get it. Yes. It's not like nobody told me. It's no parable. Right. It's no right, no right, no right. hidden right. meaning. It's oh, that's why God did what He did. And oh, that's what I did. Oops. And what do I have to do to reconcile those things? Yes. Full disclosure of what justice looks like, of what God's reign looks like, and, and you know God God's. God's organization looks like. So it's a, it's a very, very clear picture. And, let, and let's finish. Verses uh, 5 and 6 of First Timothy 2. For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Okay. Ransom for all, testimony at the proper time. 
mediator between God and man. And we know it's different than with God and Jesus and those are who are called out because those who are called out have an advocate. That's right. It's different than a mediator. Correct. It's a different relationship. God's kingdom on earth plans for the period of restoration and reconciliation. The kingdom key for this segment. The second phase of God's kingdom is clearly for everyone. It begins with trouble and with God's government orchestrating full accountability for each and every resurrected individual. Okay, full accountability, it's organized, it's set up, it's ready to deal with things. So, Rick, if everyone is resurrected back to their former state, which really was sinful, how will they learn from their mistakes? Will they have time to change and repent? And, and see, that's the beauty of God's kingdom on earth. There is time. And you had mentioned it before, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And when we look at the day of judgment, we look at a very long period of time in which reconciliation is possible, it's probable, and it's planned. That's the key to all of that. So God's kingdom in the beginning of each phase is no bed of roses. How does it all end? What will the world look like? What will mankind be like in God's kingdom? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. You asked, how does it end? Well, the truth is it doesn't end. The Bible is full of prophecies that show us God's plan for his human creation uh, of life on earth, except for those for whom he has chosen to give life in heaven. Complete annihilation does wait for those who do not comply, but for the vast, vast, vast majority it will be life and peace. That's the description of the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. That's what it ends up looking like. How do we know? We're going to get into that with this segment. But before we go there, Jonathan, let's go to one final soundbite. Uh, and this is an interesting perspective. I almost, I, I confess I got a little confused on this one. You know, thy kingdom come from Mertman88 on, on, on YouTube. And he's talking about a kingdom. And he's like, it's like a dome in which you rule. You know, and, and I get the picture, you know, this dome is a place. So he's talking about this dome in which to rule as, as he describes his understanding of the kingdom of God. God's solution is to establish a dome in which he is king against Satan's kingdom. This is the planting of the kingdom of God. Which brings us back to the very beginning, what is the kingdom of God? It is the domain over which he reigns. On earth, it is wherever Jesus has control. And that, amazingly, is our choice. Remember, this is a kingdom of love. And with love, there must be choice. You see, we have a kingdom too. So does Satan. We all have domains of influence, but here's the challenge. Will you continue to rule over your domain? Or allow God to rule instead? His kingdom or yours? So, Jonathan, you, you look very disappointed. <laughs> yes. It's so limiting yeah, to yeah. the greatness of God and his son Jesus. Well, it is because he's saying, you know, the, the domain in which God reigns through Jesus is our choice. 
It's our, it's our choice. Which kingdom are you going to serve? And again, they're limiting to God's, God's kingdom to this present evil world. They're saying, well, God can have domains in this world, and you can choose to serve that domain or Satan's domain. Which one? That's the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Satan. No! That's not right. That's not scriptural. The scriptural principle is, for the called out ones, the kingdom of God is within them because they are in the early, early, earliest stages of it. Their eventual kingdom home is in heaven. For the earth, for the rest of the world, thy kingdom come on earth. That's the home of the kingdom, not just in the domains that God chooses, not our choice. God rules with an iron fist, and this is the way it works. And it replaces Satan's evil world on earth. Both can't exist together. One will push the other out. Now, we were talking about Zephaniah 3.8 and the, the fire of God you know, consuming the earth. And you kept telling me, well, wait for verse 9. Well, let's read Zephaniah 3.9. For then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder. And, you know, this verse is so important to follow verse 8. Yeah, if you stop. It, it looks bad. It does. And look, it is bad, but it's not burning up the earth. Because if you burned up the earth, verse 9 could not happen. Exactly. So it's a proof. It's an internal scriptural proof that the fire of God's anger is the fire against the systems of a satanic world. So the earth is intact and the people are teachable. Yes. And, and that's what the verse says. The people, I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord. I Think about that. When you think about God's kingdom, you know, and we spent the last segment with, you know, a lot of the trouble and, and, and all of the difficulties, and, you know, it's like, like frustrating, like, wow, that's, that's the description of the kingdom? No, that's the description of the phases that have to be put in place before the kingdom blossoms. The blossoming of the kingdom, we can be, begin to describe in Zephaniah 3.9. 3.8, is getting ready. 3.9 is blossoming. The second phase is all because of Jesus. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is a, is a wonderful verse that is a prophetic look at the power of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. For a child will be born to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. So let's think about this. You know, it gives it gives all of these accolades to to Jesus. And then it says there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Now, think about that in terms of, again, you look at the world in which we live and look at the clamoring uh, about you know the world and, and and the folks that look at us say, oh, we're destroying the world. We should kill all humanity so we can save the earth." And and and, and then the clamoring of the the, the political uh, parties, you know, fighting against each other. You guys are you guys stink. Well, not as bad as you guys, you know. And you're going back and forth, and 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 it's all this clamoring and all this. Our way's better than your way, and none of it has the potential, even remotely. To bring world peace. That's right. This says there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. Forever. 
Now look, this is written as a prophecy in the Bible. If you believe in God, and you believe in God as the creator of all things, and you look at the Bible and say, this is his word, you've got to take something like this and take it really seriously. This is not some poetic little thing to say, oh, that's so nice. This is real stuff. And there's so many prophecies we don't have time for, Rick. In the bonus material, there are some amazing prophecies, like Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34. You've got to read it. It is amazing. So the bonus material, so you can rewind the full edition. You can just click on the website and, and just download it. Uh, it's a free service there, and it gives you the transcript of what we're doing and, and all the scriptures in the bonus material. You're right. I had I had this plan when I started, and I had like 25 scriptures like, oh, I'm going to use this one, this one, this one. And I had no time for any of them. <laughs> so they're all there. They're there. They're there, and you got to look at them. But let's take a look at a few others. And we're going to go to Daniel chapter 7 without getting into a lot of the prophetic details. But after the description of the fourth beast in Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, the prophecy adds details as to how the second phase of God's kingdom works. And again, the location of the second phase of the kingdom is where? In heaven. The first phase is second in, phase. Oh, on earth. On earth. First phase is heaven. in heaven. Mm -hmm. Second phase is on earth. And when you look at it and you realize that the two phases end up with two different locations and both fit scripture, then all of a sudden you say, wow, kingdom's bigger than I thought. And it's not like you're making it up. It, the scriptures are directing you. Heavenly call, earthly salvation, heavenly call, earthly salvation. So, you know, it gives you a real sense of things. So Daniel 7, verse 27. Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the high one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all the dominions will serve and obey him. Okay, it will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one, and it will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the dominions, all the societies on the planet will be under one government. And not only that, isn't the first phase even supposed to judge angels? Yes, yes. So the first phase of the kingdom, again, something we didn't even have, have time for, the called out ones, that's part of the responsibility that they are given. Their responsibility, because it is so great, that, that's, that, that gives you the heavenly reward. But the everybody else are not left out of God's kingdom because there's another part. The scriptures tell us where it is. They tell us how it is. They tell us why it is. And they tell us what it is. And that's what we're trying to lay out with all of these scriptures. So... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, oh, no, no. I'm, my blood pressure's up. Sorry. Oh, and even Jerusalem will be playing a large role yeah. in this second phase. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you look at the world and you say, okay, how's God's kingdom going to work? You know, wise guy, how's it going to work? Jerusalem. Watch Jerusalem. You want to know what the world capital is going to be? Well, the scriptures tell us. It's Jerusalem. Because God's chosen people of Israel are going to be the centerpiece of the development of the earthly kingdom. Again, we're saying that without giving you the scripture. In the proof. bonus material, Zechariah 8, 20 through 23, it's unbelievable. Okay, well, it's very believable, and it's <laughs> verifying exactly what we're talking about. So now, you know, Christ and his church reign, you know, Daniel seven twenty seven we just read. What does that reign look like? Well... The big thing is it brings peace and prosperity. The same peace that would be in the heavenly realm under the same God. 
and here, and I just want to, before you get to the scripture in Micah 4, 3 and 4, it's the same peace because it's under the realm of the same God. It's just spiritual versus earthly. Go ahead, Micah 3, 4, 3 and 4. And he will judge between many peoples and render decisions for mighty distant nations. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one will make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. You know, this verse, again, it gives you a sense of, and there's, this is not the only place it talks about hammering swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. There are, there's, there, are, there are other Old Testament prophecies. Nation not lifting up sword again, nation never having to train for war again. And, and you know, for me, Jonathan, just, just a, a personal thing, this verse is special for me because my, my son's in the Coast Guard. Yes. And he's in, a, in an anti-terrorism unit in the Coast Guard. He does pretty, he's trained to do very dangerous work. And I think about, the, and, and his work is designed to protect those of us who enjoy the freedom that we have. Absolutely. And I love the fact that he does that work. But I love even more the fact that never again will they train for war. Never again. His job will be obsolete. It will go by the wayside because it's of the world's kingdoms, not of God's kingdom. That makes me really happy. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. It's not some pipe dream. It's scriptural prophecy fulfilled in its due time. Kingdom in heaven, kingdom on earth. These are all obviously earthly fulfillments. You can't have a kingdom on earth if the, if the earth is burned up. That's right. You can't have a kingdom on earth for all the people if you're going to burn the people in hell. It doesn't work. It can't work. So when you look at all of these prophecies on this side of the equation, the evidence is overwhelming that God's plan has room for every human being. The reign of sin, with all of its chaos, chaos and tragedy, is going to end. Revelation 21.4. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. You know, the, you know in, in Revelation also it talks about a new Jerusalem coming down from, from heaven and so forth. And, and, but, you know, the wiping away of tears and the, the, the ability to take away the terrors of life, the traumas of life, the, the, the pain and the suffering and the sickness and the death and the deformity and all of those things. The former things have passed away. That is a powerful scriptural statement of what the kingdom on earth will look like. So the perfect Garden of Eden God created will return to earth over the whole planet. You mean God didn't fail because of Satan? You mean it'll be the way God intended? You know, that's the funny thing. You know, sometimes in Christianity, we seem to forget that God is almighty. And when he's got a plan, it's going to come through exactly the way he had a plan. This was planned from the very beginning. And there's much cause to rejoice in this. We're almost out of time, Jonathan. Let's get to 1 Corinthians 15, 22 through 26 and verse 28, because these verses now, when we understand the two phases of the kingdom, really make a lot more sense. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ will all be made alive, but each in his own order. 
Christ the firstfruits, after those that are Christ at his coming. So this shows us the first phase of the kingdom. Christ the firstfruits, and then those that are Christ at his coming. Go ahead. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father, and when he has established all rule and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death. That's a powerful thought. The last enemy to be abolished is death. Death is an enemy. It's terminal. Death is terminal itself. This shows us the second phase, the destruction of the present systems, the resurrection of all, and Jesus' ransom uh, and full authority. Verse 28. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. So the redemptive work of Jesus and the called out ones will come to an end when everything is settled in, and then then Jesus gloriously hands over this finished work to God. So God is supreme over all, forever, amen. As it should be. As it should be. Final kingdom key. The second phase of God's kingdom is built upon the first phase, so we can truly define his kingdom as an ever-growing universal kingdom in which all will live in harmony under God. Every being that lives will have been accountable and tested thoroughly, all to the honor of God. So when we look at the kingdom, you know, and you look at the whole picture and we started out with all of those verses that seem to be so contradictory, you know, and the verses are, you know, you're reading the verses and they're saying, uh, you know, the kingdom is in you, the kingdom is near, the kingdom is here, the kingdom is something to be, is after the resurrection, the kingdom is coming. It all makes sense. It all makes perfect sense if we are just willing to put it in order according to the context of all of the kingdom scriptures in the Bible. And now we see there's two phases of the kingdom. Called out ones first based on Jesus' ransom so that the blessings can go to the rest of the world based on Jesus' ransom. That, my friends, is the kingdom of God. For Jonathan, Rick, and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We hope you join us again next week for another subject. But till then, the kingdom is coming think about it. Folks, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us, review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. Coming up next week, we're going to be talking about what happens to my Christianity when I go to work. Now, see, now that's something you got to think about because, oh, yeah. you know, when we go to work sometimes, it doesn't work out the way you think it should because we get lazy. Anyway, folks, we'll talk to you next week.